Welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media. We provide business professionals with insights and ideas for protecting their people from the vast array of threats facing organizations today. Each week, you'll hear advice and best practices from an experienced safety leader. Here's your host, Peter Steinfeld. I hope you're having a great week. As duty of care expands and the umbrella of employee well-being continues to grow, organizational leaders are tasked with ensuring not just the physical safety of their employees, but psychological safety as well. Here to help us understand the impact of psychological safety and how it affects organizations is Dr. Rajni Walia, organizational psychologist and consultant. As vice president of DECRA North America, Rajni helps businesses of all sizes identify gaps in performance and implement neuroscience-based training and development to help them uplevel their operations. In this episode, Rajni unpacks the role of the safety leader in ensuring total worker health for employees. Let's listen in. Rajni, what is psychological safety and how does it impact organizations? Psychological safety is the ability to show and employ oneself without fear of negative consequences of self-image, status, or career. And essentially, it's a shared belief that the team is safe for interpersonal risk-taking, that it is safe for them to ask questions during meetings, it is safe for them to disagree with their manager or peers. And in psychologically safe teams, people feel accepted and respected. And in fact, interestingly enough, psychological safety is, is the most studied enabling condition in group dynamics and team learning research. And when I go to a client site, I just absolutely love sitting on their meetings because you can easily assess the level of psychological safety by just looking at the body language of the folks in the room, by seeing the level of participation there is, and examining the placement of the leaders. If, you know, all the leaders are sitting at the head of the table and they're doing most of the speaking, there's something to be said, both about the group dynamics and the psychological safety. And while it was a popular topic before the pandemic, Psychological safety has become that much more so due to its relevance to agility, diversity, and inclusion, and remote working. Well, clearly, this is an extremely important issue for safety leaders to tackle, but it sounds a little abstract at first. Is there a good way to measure the gap and identify where to start? There is. Before I go there, though, Peter, I would like to share with you how it has impacted organizations, because I do think psychological safety involves recognizing employees that are dealing with stressors and making them feel safe to discuss the issues openly. And also what I found in my research is that intrinsic benefits will only go so far in keeping people engaged and satisfied. And to stay in an organization, employees require a positive work culture, a system of rewards and recognition, and leadership that actively fosters an environment of psychological safety. And a Gallup poll found that 73% of disengaged employees were actively seeking out other employment, as opposed to 37% that were engaged. So, I mean, there's, there is a lot that can be said, but to answer your question, of yes, it can be a little abstract. How do you address it? I will say that at DECRA, we are firm believers in implementing solutions that are based in science. Psychological safety falls within what we call our well being solution areas. And while many factors influence our well being, like our socioeconomic status, like our genetics, we know 
that organizations have little influence over that. So we don't look at that. But what we do look at is we look at three factors that organizations can control and influence. And those are physical well-being, psychological well-being, and social well-being. And physical well-being has been a focal point for our consulting practice for the last 25 years. Psychological safety wasn't something that came up or was heavily discussed. But now that we've broadened that, I will say what the psychological safety and social well-being are. But in physical well-being, just to round that one out, it's where we examine whether people can perform activities without harm or physical pain, whether they have access to reliable tools and equipment, and whether there's a focus on control and mitigation, exposure control and mitigation. Psychological well-being is the extent to which a person experiences positive emotions, feeling of satisfaction, a sense of purpose, and and knowing that there is growth and development opportunities for them. And it encompasses being able to maintain good mental health by, you know, oftentimes what we do when we look at that is we look at their pace of work, we look at the work demands, we look at how much of their work is changing and how much support they have to, to be able to be successful. And social well-being is the extent to which a worker feels a sense of belonging. The group values their overall contribution and there's trust and inclusion amongst members and there's group stability. Now, in order for us to measure where an organization's at, what we do is we utilize what we call our working at well-being continuum. And that is where we're able to collect quantitative and qualitative data And based on our our assessment, we're actually able to kind of map out where the organization's at and whether they're beginning, progressing, or flourishing stage of their well-being. And to give you context around what that looks like in a beginner stage, essentially threats to worker well-being are present without any substantial support. So there's poor physical conditions. There's poor workplace design. There's a lot of stress and fatigue on on the system and the people, and there's not access to reliable work tools and work equipment. In a progressing organization, you'd have systematic efforts that have begun to focus on well-being. So, you know, it's less get this done right now, but let's get it done in a way that it can be, we can get this done safely. So there's a scaling back a little bit on the stress and urgency pressures. There's There's more of a focus on getting people a safer work environment. There's more inclusion. So you're starting to see signs of progress. And in flourishing, the work environment is full of of drivers that will enable workers to thrive and where well-being is a core value. So they're provided recognition and support. They know what their role is. They have a purpose and meaning. They're able to speak up. They're getting fairly rewarded, not only just um, by compensation, but they're they're getting feedback to say that they're they're doing things well. So there's those are some of the ways that we we measure, you know, where an organization is at. And you work with a lot of different organizations. So statistically speaking, when they come to you, where are they on that continuum? Is it like five percent or in that flourishing stage, and the rest are somewhere further down the line, or is it different? That's a great question, Peter. And I would say a lot are probably I, the optimistic organizations. They probably say that they're flourishing. It's hard to, I have yet to find an organization where everything is completely at flourishing, right? So there might be pockets, but not overall. I would say given the focus on well-being and psychological safety and all of these things that are coming up, there has been progress over the years. I'd say there's probably more in progressing. But you'd be surprised. There's a lot of organizations that are still at the beginning stage. 
Well, that's good to know because our listeners are probably thinking, hmm, I'm at the beginning stage. Do I feel bad about this and ignore it or should I jump in? And I think if they hear that most organizations are still at that beginning phase and there's a lot of work to do, that's good. It gets it out in the open. There's some research that says people will stay in an organization even if they're paid less, but if it's an organization that supports them. So the thing that the pandemic has caused us to do is really do some self-reflection. Probably all of us have really given a hard look at where we work and is it giving us satisfaction? Put the monetary stuff aside, but is it contributing to something, right? Do we feel like we're adding value? Do we feel like you know, we're being supported. Are we being cared for? Do I work for a leader that has my back? I mean, all of these things are questions that now, more so than ever, we've started to ask ourselves. And so now organizations really need to have a, a tough look inward and say, are we offering these to folks? If not, we're going to have a massive turnover issue. Well, knowing that organizations have a lot of work to do here, what are some practical ways that safety leaders can improve psychological well-being in the workplace? So depending on the, on the current culture of the organization, right, creating psychological safety may, may take an unusual degree of commitment and skill. So the reason why you'd ask is that it's natural for people to hold back ideas. So imagine if, you're in a, if you work in an environment where you're told what to do constantly and you now all of a sudden start asking for input, people are not going to provide input readily. They're going to be reluctant. They're going to be reluctant to provide input, reluctant to ask questions, and they might shy away from disagreeing with their managers because they know what's happened in the past when someone has done that, right? So given this tendency, the free exchange of ideas and concerns and questions is routinely hindered far more than most managers realize. And so to reverse that focus and effort, it's a process of helping people develop new beliefs and behaviors. We're a behavioral organization, so we focus a lot on behaviors. And none of this is easy nor natural, right? Because we have to think of the wiring of the leader, right? So most times they, they've come up through the ranks and they've They've learned from their previous boss or manager who's told them what to do. And so they, for, therefore, they think that's the right thing to do. It's not going to be easy for them to sort of change that methodology. So in saying that, what I would like to do is offer a few tips which leaders can deploy. And the first thing I'd say is that leaders need to reflect inward, right? What ratio of conversations or interactions are they having? In that, are they transactional conversations or are they transformational conversations? And transactional conversations, just as the name implies, is probably, Peter, like an interaction you might expect at a fast food restaurant. You go, you order your food, you pay, and you leave, and you don't recall anything from that interaction because it wasn't an exchange of meaningful dialogue. It was a transaction. A transformational conversation is one where someone is providing you feedback on the behaviors they have observed, and you've gotten that individual to reflect on their actions. And it's one where you've gotten them to kind of understand what it is that they're currently doing well and how that's keeping them safe and their peers safe. And, and, it's, and it's working towards a common goal of the organization, but it's where you can actually recall back and say, yeah, you know what? I got something out of that interaction. My leader has gotten me to think about something that I was just routinely doing, which I never realized is keeping me safe or might make me exposed to getting injured. So it can't be 100% of our conversations are going to be transformational. Probably not, but a 50-50 divide would be good. The other thing that leaders can do is they can be mindful of their pace and tone. So I lead a team of folks. And if I, 
you know, every weekend send emails at eight, nine o'clock at night, I'm setting a tone that I expect a response back in the evening on the weekends. That's not helpful. That is saying that, you know, because I am expecting that people have to behave that way. And so I'm very mindful of that. And so I know this is the kind of stuff that people can do as a leader. You can say, okay, what pace and tone am I giving out? And people are going to operate that way. Am I checking in and seeing how people are doing, especially in the virtual world? We have to we have to check in when we, you know, we're in an office setting and you can go and, and sneak your head in and, you know, say hello to someone. It's much easier to tell whether they're distressed, whether they they seem off, whether they there's something that, you know, is bothering them. In the virtual world, we cannot. And so as a leader, I know for me, at least, I put it on my calendar to call the individuals that are on my team and just have a chat. It's most often not even about work, but just to check in. And that's the other thing. I think a lot of what I'm, I'm reading is that a lot of this, make sure you, you don't have any distractions. Like our world of work has changed so much in that if we're at home, there are distractions that are coming in and out. I have young kids. And so and now my organization kind of accepts that, you know, if they come in or if, they, if I get interrupted, it's okay. And so this is the kind of stuff that we have to realize that is changing. And so we have to reflect and say, are we allowing for that change or are we shunning all of that off? It reminds me of that that video that happened of a gentleman being interviewed on news before the pandemic and his kid wandered into the the interview and everyone was horrified about it. But then during the pandemic, now it's normal. People just invite their kids on their lap during the meeting. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and it, and I, <laughs> I had I had the same interaction. Of, uh, it was an individual who had seen we're, we're on a client call with somebody, and and he was horrified that his dog came about. But then, yeah, eventually, like he was just, it became a laughing point. Well, those are all great tips, and it really goes back to what you said before. The key obstacle here is the rewiring of the leader. That's a big obstacle. So what other obstacles tend to stand in the way of safety leaders that are trying to enact change in their organizations? Anything else you can think of? Absolutely. So there are the first one I, that I often, when I coach leaders from CEOs all the way down to frontline leaders, I ask them to think about their cognitive biases. So if you, if anyone was to just even search, there's numbers, there are a number of cognitive biases out there. But one that's quite simple is, if we framed somebody as a bad employee because they were involved in an injury and we just automatically assume that they're a bad employee, all of our behavior, all of our interaction with that individual is going to get influenced. So I would say that's something that a leader has to be mindful of is don't frame people because again, nobody, I, one thing I always remind people is that nobody comes to work wanting to get hurt or wanting to get injured everybody's comes to work with good intention. So that's one thing. The other one is only offering opportunities to the people that you know are going to get the job done or your go-to people. Take some of those biases aside because you're creating less opportunities for individuals to learn and to grow. And that's one I would say there's, you know, look at the level of knowledge and skills. A lot of people learn through tribal knowledge. They learn because information was handed down. And so as a leader, you do have to own it and you do have to look and see, you know, have people learn the right way because your role is to help guide and shape what their experience is going to be in an organization. 
People don't leave for others. They leave because they have a bad leader. And if I am coaching somebody and they've had a lot of turnover, and I say, what have you done to influence that? Because they probably have done something. Oversight not applied is another thing that a leader might do is that over time, if people don't get feedback and that feedback, my goodness, is a, is really a gift and, and is so understated in organizations and that we, a lot of leaders think today, even that most people get paid to do a job and that's, yes, they do, but what they do need to get is they need to get reminded of what they're doing currently. That is that, that you want them to continue doing and where you want them to make adjustments and so you can't be surprised that people will go off and, you know, maybe do their own thing or or make a decision that you're not going to agree with if you've never provided them feedback or shown them the right way. Risk tolerance and acceptance is another one. A lot of times people get rewarded and punished for the same behavior. You might have said, yeah, it's okay to, it's okay to, you know, operate under stress and fatigue and all those other things. And another time you're now saying you shouldn't do that. So you're giving conflicting messages. Anytime as a leader, if you're giving goal conflict, it is confusing people. So that's something that leaders definitely have to be mindful of. Well, what about the safety leaders themselves and how they're viewed within their organizations? Does that impact their ability to make those changes out there? Oh, 100%. So how they're currently viewed does absolutely make a difference. So I would say a good place to start, and I, I often do this exercise with a lot of leaders that I meet, is I get them to reflect back. Okay, So think back to the time that you had a leader that you absolutely loved working for. What did they do? What traits did they demonstrate? What attributes did they have? And what made you feel that they were the best leader ever? And I'm sure people can think of a list of things, right? And so what I get them to do is I get them to create a list and I say, put that up in your, you know, tape it to your laptop somewhere, but make that your goalpost. The best leader that they've probably worked for probably showed care and concern for them, had their back. I would say it actually starts with the leader, right? So the leader actions that demonstrate care. The first thing that we always say is that leaders must go first and further and that they have to be the ones that are advocating or, or changing, they have to be the first ones to change, quite frankly. And then once, once people see that the leaders are kind of stepping in and, and changing their behavior and asking for feedback, the more someone does that, so the more someone does that for me, I think about the best leader I have, my goodness, he stood up for everybody. He was willing to bat for me and was fair, fair, firm, but like all of those things, like I just think, okay, so the more that he demonstrated that, the more trust and support that I got, the more likely that I'm likely to reciprocate back. And this is kind of how it all travels. And the idea of reciprocation is a big one, as you can clearly gauge from my response. Yes, without a doubt. It, it can't just be talk. It's got to be action too. People have to see that people are walking the talk. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you talked earlier about basing a lot of what you do on evidence. So what discovery or perhaps insight has surprised you the most in your research and experience? I would say, I mean, for me, given my, my background as an organizational psychologist, I've always been a firm believer in treating people fairly, having an environment where they can thrive and flourish. One, one thing from my experience, probably not, not so much my research, but my experience that has really surprised me 
is just how much work we have to do. When, you know, we're a safety consulting organization and we're able to measure maturity and of an organization. And, and there, are, there are still organizations out there that are very much con- command and control. You do as I say, and then yet they're expecting a different outcome. And they're expecting safety to be top and for, first and foremost. And I just think you're never going to get there by that. And there are still people out there that, you know, that think, yeah, and we can one day humans will be engineered out of the workforce. And that's that's quite the opposite. You're still going to need people. And people, again, now have taken a lot of time in these last few years to really reflect on what they want. And that's the reason why it has become so hard to recruit, because quite frankly, people have so much they have so much to choose from. And they're they're looking at, you know, they're weighing all of the options that they have. So to me, the surprising thing mostly is how much how much organizations still need to improve. I mean, you would think you would think, Peter, and I'd be I would be delighted if a lot of the organizations are flourishing. But I, like I mentioned earlier, they're still just they're still just starting. Yeah, and I like what you said earlier about uh, this idea that people think employees will be engineered out of the workforce. I really think it's more engineered out of certain types of jobs and into other ones that require even more psychological safety. Absolutely. (laughs) Exactly right. Well, can you share a compelling story that perhaps illustrates the impact of psychological safety in the workplace? Yeah, I mean, for me, just this, this is something that came up probably, probably like less than a month ago. I was at a frontline leader exchange session and, and what this organization that I'm going to describe to you was an organization that I've been working with for probably about two and a half years now. When we first started there, it's like what I said, it was very much command and control. People didn't were fearful. They didn't believe nor trust their leaders or their organization. You can term it as toxic, right? So it was quite toxic and people were not willing to share ideas. And so over time, what we've done is we've We've taken the organization through a frontline leader sort of development. So this this whole stream of work around that. And leaders have really gotten to understand their role. And one thing that was shared was in a comment that was made by a frontline leader was, wow, you know, I, I've never been a people person and surprising, right? But he's now in a leader role. And he said, I've never been a people person. And what I used to do is I used to see people that I didn't want to talk to, or I knew they were gonna they were gonna be a pain, and I and I'd walk away from the opportunity to ever have engage in a conversation with them. And what we've been able to demonstrate or teach them is is how to engage people in a way where they feel like they are part of something. And now, because he's developed sort of his vision and what he wants to be seen, and and he's done that exercise which i explained earlier which is you know looked at what the best type of leader he can think of and how he wants to get there he's been able to change and modify his own behavior his own biases and now he said you know those employees that i wouldn't i'd be afraid to talk to they are my best advocates they're the ones that that i love talking to they love talking to me and we we will sit there and brainstorm ideas for an hour and it, and just just to hear that I mean, it's, it's the reason why I do what I do. No, that's a great story. And it sounds like it's a successful rewiring of a leader. Well, what keeps you motivated and inspired in your career other than the limitless work ahead of you? I mean, for me, uh, I have, uh, I have two young kids. And so for me, Peter, 
I just think about, you know, what they're going to go into. I, I went into the workforce uh, many, many years ago. And when I went in, it was, you know, the, these kind of things were not even talked about. And if I think back to, you know, when I started, it was very much like a little a bit of a survival of the fittest. You um, obviously a female that, you know, I've, I've been successful in my career, but it was there were challenges along the way. And I was, you know, I stereotyped and people did, you know, they, they wouldn't take me seriously if I wasn't a male. And so there's all sorts of things like that. And then safety is another thing. I there the number of fatalities and injuries in an organization still is mind boggling. But the fact that I can do what I do and, and, and it is making a difference to like the leader that I mentioned before or where organizations are now embracing the idea of psychological safety, that's honestly what keeps me motivated because I know that, you know, in 20 years or 15 years when my daughters enter the workforce, someone will embrace them and they'll understand that, you know, things like feeling, having a voice at the, and having a seat at the table and having a voice is going to be important. And so all of those things, I think, are what I, the reason why I do what I do, you know, and the stats behind it are so simple. You know, one of the things that I read recently is that, you know, when people feel healthy, respected and cared for in an organization, they're eight times more likely to be engaged, three times more likely to be productive three and a half times more likely to be creative and innovative. And I'd love my daughters to be all of those things. But, and so I love that, you know, when they enter that they feel respected and cared for. So that's, that's my motivation. Oh, I love that you're contributing to the foundation of the future. That's really huge. Trying to. Well, that's fantastic. As we wrap up here, do you have any parting words of advice for safety and security leaders navigating all these changes moving forward? The biggest thing I can say is they're not alone. I know listening in, you're probably thinking, well, gosh, I'm not at flourishing. My organization's not at flourishing. And I would say, look, you're not alone. There are other people that are out there that are probably experiencing the same challenges. And, you know, look, we're, we've learned a lot. In the last couple of years, we've learned more about what people want and what people crave from an employer. And all of these things are still sort of new, it's new territory for a lot of people. And I've, I've just had the opportunity to study this stuff and, and get kind of get ahead of it, but not, not many have. And so if you're, if you're feeling like you're, you're alone, you're not, if you're feeling like you're doing disjustice to your employees and again, you're probably not doing it out of malintent. It's just, there's things that now, we can reflect on. And if you want an organization that's going to, that's going to stay there and be there and want to be there, ask the question. I mean, I know in our organization, we've done a lot, even just this year around asking and saying, look, what more can we do? I know as a leader, I ask, like, is there anything more that I can do or that this organization can do to support you? Just asking, start asking good questions, a great leadership skills, just ask a lot of questions and ask the right type of questions and ask open-ended questions that are not going to get you a yes or no. Rajni, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your expertise with us. Every time I look at a leader going forward, I'm going to picture like C-3PO from Star Wars that just needs to be rewired <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> How can our audience connect with you if they have any follow-up questions? connect with me on LinkedIn. Again, if you have a question, no matter how small or big it is, happy to be a resource for you. I know we're navigating some, some sort of unique territory here. And if I can help answer any questions or be a resource to anybody, I would be happy to. 
All right. Well, excellent. Before we go, I want to give a shout out to those of you who have reviewed and rated the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It makes a really big difference in helping others find the show. And don't forget to subscribe at alertmedia.com. Have a safe week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, the industry's most intuitive emergency communication and threat intelligence solution. To learn more about how to protect your people and business during critical events, visit alertmedia.com. Until next time.